Welcome to Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. Each week on Ingredient Insiders, we'll be talking with celebrated chefs about their favorite ingredients. We'll also be talking to the producers of those ingredients about what makes them so special and why chefs love using them. On this episode, we're going to be talking about maple syrup. Mm. You say maple syrup. What's the first thing that comes to your mind, John? Pancakes. Yeah. I think elf. Elf. Why elf? The movie? The movie. He yeah. like drinks maple syrup. He pours it in his cereal. I got to watch this again. I love Will Ferrell. Maple syrup is kind of as an American an ingredient as I can think of. I mean, it's really unique to the United States. Yeah, especially like the New England area. Yep. I have friends who live in Bogota, Colombia. Should they be coming to the United States or know anybody who's going to visit them? Their number one request is, can you please bring us maple syrup? Wow. Like, it's, is it that hard to find there? I guess finding the real stuff. Yeah. If you think wow. about it, it's such a regional product. Really. Yeah. You know, and it also leads back to the thought like, how the hell did somebody figure out how to make maple syrup like back in the old days. Do you think someone was like mad and they were outside and like kicked a tree and all of a sudden this like sap comes out? Or did they see sap coming out of a tree and they decided to like lick it and then figure out It that. was sweet? Yeah, but is it even sweet? Because the, the process of making maple syrup, which we're going to be talking about, mm -hmm. you got to stick a spigot, kind of a tap into the tree, right? Right. The sap comes out. Yep. But then it's really got to be cooked down for hours and hours and hours. To separate the syrup from the water. This really is a product of nature. You know, makes it unique, makes it cool. And it can be used in both sweet and savory applications. Yep. And people are using it in beverages now. And that reminds me of another kind of story. Maple syrup in Scandinavia. Because, you know, the climate and the trees are kind of similar. If you talk about like Finland, Sweden. and Maple syrup can only come from sugar maple, red maple, or black maple trees. Well, I don't know if they have those in Scandinavia, but I was in Stockholm a few years ago and I was at a very beautiful restaurant called Matthias Dahlgren, Michelin three stars, mm -hmm. incredible meal. As part of the drink pairing for that meal, they brought us what I thought was champagne, but it was this sparkling wine called Sav, S-A-V. Mm. And it was delicious. And when I inquired about it, they said, oh, it's made in Sweden. And then they told me that sav actually translates to sap. And this was the tree sap of, I don't know if it was one of those maples you just mentioned or another, whatever type of tree it was, but that's how they make this beverage. So it's almost like a, a Scandinavian version of a, a maple syrup or some kind of tree syrup. Wow. Thought I'd throw that one out there to you. Really cool. Yeah. Pretty interesting. So... I'm excited. We've got Jamie Bissonette, who's going to be on the show. He's this incredible chef from Boston. He has Copa Restaurant and Toro Restaurant and Little Donkey. He's a James Beard Award winner. He's a partner with a good friend of ours, Ken Oranger, another amazing chef from Boston. So that'll be really fun to talk to him. When I think about the different grades of maple syrup, uh, a lot of people say that there's four grades, golden, amber, dark, and very dark. The darker the syrup, the stronger the flavor. And then we'll be speaking with Evan Himes from Dutch Gold Honey and McClure's Maple Syrup to talk about how maple syrup is made and a little bit about the history of their company. Yeah, McClure's Maple Syrup, that's one of the brands when I'm in the supermarket that I look for. They've got great products, American made, you know, the real McCoy when it comes to maple syrup. The primary source of maple syrup, which is sugar maple trees, um, grows really well in Northeast Canada and the Northeast United States. 
Um, so really restricted geographic area where maple syrup is available from. It's the most asked for maple syrup at the Chef's Warehouse too. This episode is in partnership with the Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. We're going to be talking about a great American ingredient. Maybe it's a North American ingredient today, Andrea. And we've got one of the finest chefs from New England and in the United States today with us, Jamie Bissonette. Hi, Jamie. Welcome. Hey, how are you? I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, we're excited that you're on the line. So, Jamie, uh, you're from New England originally. I am. James Beard Award winning chef. You have multiple restaurants, Copa, Toro, Little Donkey. I do want to talk about maple syrup today. You you said you love the ingredient. Why do you love it so much? Growing up, our neighbors, the Clarks, would tap the maple trees through season and then make their own maple syrup and give it to us. And I just was like, wow, this is so good. The fake corn syrup, maple syrup that a lot of people had in their households just wasn't something that, that I saw around because great local maple syrup was so available. And I loved the flavor. I loved the maple candy. I loved maple syrup on different things. Even, you know, as a young kid, when I was eight, nine years old, I loved maple syrup on top of sausage. Um, that flavor is something that stuck with me throughout my career. And now I have a breakfast sausage recipe that uses maple syrup. Yeah. And it's so versatile. And, you know, when you learn more about cooking all around the world, our restaurant, Little Donkey, doesn't really subscribe to any kind of cuisine. You know, we've got a fair amount of Indian food, Thai food, some Korean influence. We have Mexican influence, basically like a, an organized schizophrenic menu. And we like to cook with what we have locally and think about food in like a really open-minded way. And when you realize that palm sugar, which is used all over Southeast Asia, is the same process of making uh, you know, a sugar from tree sap, as maple syrup. And you think, well, what happens if I swap out these ingredients? And you know, we've come up with some pretty delicious things. What's interesting, Andrea was telling me this morning that most maple syrup comes from Canada. Is that correct, Andrea? Yes, Canada and the U.S. So and the no, US. definitely okay. North America. Because I always think of Vermont and uh, New Hampshire, the White Mountains in that area and the Green Mountains. You know, you mentioned that you were getting your neighbor's maple syrup from Connecticut. I know there's some great maple syrup that's produced in New York. Outside of like breakfast foods, you mentioned like breakfast sausage with maple syrup, which I love too, and obviously pancakes and waffles. There's a whole other world for using maple syrup. What are some of the other uses that creative chefs will use, you know, maple syrup for? One of the things that I really love is doing things like samtam, like a papaya salad that normally would have palm sugar and using maple syrup in that or maple sugar even. A lot of recipes that call for sugar in it in cooking, like whether it's a stir fry in a wok with some chow foon or a fried rice, using you know a, a nice dark Auburn maple syrup that was cooked in a real sugar shack with open fire that picks up that nuance of smoke, it works. And it adds a depth of flavor that is really unique and really wonderful. So we, we you know, we've got some some things that are marinated uh, or cured with maple syrup. We'll like put a piece of fish in maple syrup and let it sit in there for a couple of hours, like sugar curing something to help pull out some of the moisture and give it a little bit more flavor. And then we can use that in a crudo, reducing maple syrup down. I mean a lot like honey or palm sugar. What are the different types of, you know, maple syrup and what do you look for when you're buying it? When I think about the different grades of maple syrup, uh, a lot of people say that there's four grades, golden, amber, dark, and very dark. The darker the syrup, the stronger the flavor. When you think about how maple syrup is made, it's a reduction of sap that concentrates the flavor. So you're 
you're just cooking the moisture or the water, the natural water out of it to concentrate the flavors that are there, which is why it's such a cumbersome thing to do. The darker stuff tends to be a little bit more expensive. It's also one of the ones that I find to be the most inconsistent. It can be a little bit too bitter. It's over over reduced. So when I'm going to cook with maple syrup, I kind of throw the idea of what the color is completely out and I just go off flavor. I taste the maple syrup and figure out like what I want to do with it. Sometimes I'll just buy maple syrup at the farmer's market, not really have an intended use for it, taste it and go, wow, this would be really great glazing some wax beans with some Thai bird chilies. Or I might taste it and be like, oh, this would be great for a brunch dish. I love that. You know what I like to do with maple syrup, Andrew? I love to glaze salmon. I love to also use it in vinaigrettes combined with the vinegars, obviously. I love that idea of the beans and, and the Thai bird chilies. Soy sauce and maple syrup go well together. People like their eyes go crazy. Make a glaze for your salmon with maple syrup, whatever recipe you want to follow from the internet or from a book, and then add just a little bit of soy sauce. Not enough to make it a soy glaze, but enough to just give it a little bit of umami and a little bit of that, like, what is that? What is that kind of flavor? I think that sweetness and saltiness and funkiness go really well together. So does that mean that maple syrup is a staple in your pantry? I know I have like six or seven different maple syrups. I like it a lot for things where I'm going to make a quick, like a nak chum vinaigrette because it's already dissolved sugar. So it's a quick, like easy, add some lemon juice, add some lime juice, add some raw garlic, add some chilies, and you've got a nice dipping sauce that is super quick. And for that, I would use an amber rather than the darker because the amber has a little bit more of the sweetness and a little bit less of that, the smokiness if it was uh, done in a sugar shack and a little bit less of the like really concentrated maple flavor. Is there anything on the menus now at the restaurant that uh, we should talk about that is using maple syrup? So currently at the restaurants with maple syrup, like at Toro, we actually get some maple syrup and we smoke it and then we make a cookie out of it. And then that cookie we make into a crumble and that's what we toss our churros in. How do you um, smoke maple syrup? The way that we like to smoke it is a cold smoke. So we put the maple syrup into a, uh, a half hotel pan. So it's very thin and has a lot of surface area. And then we make a smoking basket in a deep hotel pan beneath it and get it nice and smoky, cover it with tin foil. We have two ways of doing it from there. Either we leave it over by the hoods and it smokes and is really nice. Or the new cook will put it over on garmage. Uh, in which case it will still smoke really nicely, but then it sets off the fire alarm. You don't want to do that. No, nah, but we do it at least like whenever we have new hires on Garmage. I'd say it's like every six or eight months, somebody does that. That's yeah, pretty fun. It's fun. But it's really flavorful. And uh, we have a really awesome maple gelato at Copa right now. Um, and then at brunch, we we always have some cornmeal cake or Johnny cake. And there's always maple syrup or a ma- maple syrup gastric where we cook maple syrup down to a syrup with different spices and botanicals and make something really delicious. When you make the gelato, are you reducing the maple syrup before you're adding it? I find the best way to get a really great maple flavor is to use a little bit in the custard when you're making the, the anglaise. And then after it's spun to kind of fold in some dark reduced maple syrup, kind of similarly to like a, a caramel swirl. Um, mm. Alternatively, you can also make a maple cookie dough. And if you get crystallized maple sugar, if you fold that into the gelato at the end before you put it into the pints, you end up with a great texture as well. Where do you find inspiration for all these ideas? You're, I feel like you're kind of spit firing a little bit and it's, I'm drooling. I 
want that gelato now. I just like to think about food in different ways. I mean, as I'm sitting here at home, I'm looking at a bookshelf with thousands of cookbooks that I look through on a regular basis. So I think it's just, you know, like anything, you you need to stay fresh. You need to keep reading. Uh, you know, doctors have different periodicals that come out every month that so they can keep up on things. And chefs, we've got cookbooks and blogs and all sorts of great things, podcasts to listen to like this one. I love it. When you go to the grocery store, I always, you know, kind of talk about this. There's so many options. What should a consumer, you know, who's not buying the gallon jugs from Chef's Warehouse, what should the consumer look for in a high quality maple syrup? Find out where it's from. If you can't easily see where it's from, the point of origin or when it was made, probably, you know, not the best. If it's in the refrigerator section, definitely you don't want it because it doesn't need to be refrigerated. If you're not in New England, you might have a harder time finding the maple syrup in your grocery store. So go to a specialty store, ask around. But in New England, I mean, there's there's so much availability. Yeah. What I look for, Andrea, is these plastic jugs. The color is almost like a gray. Like a brownish color? Like a, well, it's like a grayish brownish color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I see that, I know it's the real McCoy. Not that there's not great maple syrup in clear glass bottles. There is. But I always look for that. Like the jug. Big plastic jug. Yeah. And then I look for, personally, I prefer to support the, the local guys. So I always look for something from either Connecticut, New York, Vermont, or New Hampshire. And, you know, we talk about these retail products that a lot of us grew up on. I grew up, not always, but a lot of Aunt Jemima type pancake syrup. Me too. Like log cabin. I don't cabin even think that or... is even really, is that even maple syrup? I think it's like I think colored it's like corn syrup. Maple flavored syrup, I think they call yeah. it, where it's like a colored and flavored to Jamie's point, like corn syrup, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's important for home consumers to understand is when you're in the supermarket, there is this real McCoy, there is real maple syrup. I think it even is called real maple syrup, which is expensive. Yeah. It's probably quadruple the price of but it's, Aunt Jemima but it's or so Log good. Cabin. You know, it's a natural product that's coming straight out of these trees. It's not added sugars. I have actually friends who will only give their child maple syrup in like drinks and things like that as a sweetener. It's the only sweetener they use in their house because there's great benefits. The glycemic index of this product, mm. although it's very sweet, is much better than traditional types of sugar. I have a friend who puts it in his coffee instead of sugar for similar reasons. I have many times in a pinch realized that I don't have milk for my coffee and been out. I need to put something in it and I'll add maple syrup. It also is great if you want to make a Vietnamese coffee. You know what kids do in New England? I don't know if they really still do this. <laughs> you take snow, Andrea, and you almost make it into like a snowball and you drizzle maple syrup over it. I feel like you're playing with me. No, I'm serious. Like it's that's like a dessert. I might have just made oh, that up. I think but you I made think it up. That is something that is done. I can tell you, John, you didn't make that up, man. Like we we did that growing up as a kid when you'd get like really firm snow. It was so, so awesome to just take and drizzle the maple syrup, especially if you're like making maple syrup in a sugar shack and it snows outside. That's the natural thing. And when you drizzle it over it, 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 like, it cools so quick like a caramel, you end up with uh, like a snow cone. It's almost yeah. like it's yeah. totally or, or like a lollipop. Or it's like a snow cone that good humor ice cream just dreamed about making. So you're from New England, James Beard Award winning chef. You have multiple restaurants, Copa, Toro, Little Donkey. Tell us a little bit about your culinary upbringing. So I started cooking when I was uh, when I was in high school. I'm from uh, a little bit west of Hartford, spent a lot of time growing up in the Hartford area. Back in the early 90s, I, I was a vegan 
which was like, you know, unheard of, which my parents didn't recognize, the school system didn't recognize. I ended up learning how to cook for myself and going to culinary school. Why were you a vegan at a young age and a time huh. before it was in vogue? I was really involved in a, a, a music genre called hardcore. And part of that was uh, being, uh, I was straight edge. So I didn't smoke, drink, didn't do drugs. Part of that was also uh, a lot of people didn't eat meat in the straight edge movement. Uh, I didn't really have the animal welfare bug like a lot of people did. I uh -huh. was For me, it was more about eating clean and living clean. And then it kind of stuck around. I was even vegetarian through culinary school and into my early 20s. Wow, that's very cool. What was the change that like made you start eating meat again? I was working with a chef who he compared it to music. And he said that I was like a good musician who could really play my instrument, but couldn't play with other people because I didn't understand the harmonies and melodies of food because I wasn't eating it. He suggested that I either decide to not be a, a full-on, you know, omnivorous cooking chef and that I should either focus on vegetarian or I should probably start tasting my food and eating and participating more. Yeah, it was being a vegan that got you into cooking because you weren't able to find vegan foods. So you started having to cook for yourself? Yeah. I mean, like there was no vegan food in our house. So if I wanted it, I would cook. I was learning about flavors uh, at a Hare Krishna temple with friends who were uh, Hare Krishna devotees and um, we're really like getting into Eastern religion. So like we would go and pray and meditate and talk and chant and then eat dosa and dal and all sorts of really delicious things. And I fell in love with the spices. So I would go home and I would watch, you know, there was no food network back then. So I'd be watching Julia Child and Jacques Pepin and like learning how to cook things from them and then adding like a, like an Indian, like kind of spice twist to it. And yeah, it's ironic that being vegan forced me to cook and then, cooking forced me to not be a vegan. Fascinating. So, you know, you're talking a lot about kind of Indian flavors. Now it looks like your current restaurants are a little bit more, I would say, on the Italian spectrum, American accessibility you talk about in, in your in your cooking. Tell us about opening multiple restaurants, because we have a lot of chefs that are listeners, um, you know, restaurateurs, and a lot of them have, you know, single properties. What's it like to open multiple restaurants? 16 years is an eternity in the restaurant business. Obviously, you guys have a great recipe for success. You know, I'd say that our recipe for success is equal parts hard work and luck. As far as opening up multiple restaurants, you're never ready. When somebody says, oh, I want to do another restaurant, but I don't think I'm ready. Even if you do all the planning in the world, you're never ready. It's something that you're just going to have to, to do and learn, learn from your mistakes. But my advice is surround yourself with good, caring people, treat them well, empower them and trust them. And if you can build a system that trusts the people that you work with, you're going to have much better uh, chance of success. I guess when you're opening a restaurant, hospitality is at the forefront of your mind. You want to make sure that you know your guests are having an amazing experience. What does hospitality mean to you? Oh man, hospitality is such a complicated thing. And you know, uh, hospitality starts at home. We say that if we can't treat each other at work like family, then we're not going to be hospitable to the people that are coming in. Hospitality is also not unilateral. Like the whole, the customer is always right or the guest is always right is a bunch of BS. There was something that I saw hanging somewhere one day. I can't remember where it was. Otherwise I would give it credit, but it said the customer is not always right. And we are not only right. Going into it with this knowledge, we're able to come up with something that's going to make everybody happy and we're going to have a good time. Something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I've always loved that. Danny Myers says things like being right is irrelevant 
when it comes to hospitality. To be successful in that realm, you just need to have empathy. You need to slow down and be patient and you need to learn how to respond rather than react. Absolutely. That's I, I love that line. You know, instead of, you know, reacting, take a minute and, you know, responding to a situation, I think it can go a really long way. Well, this conversation has been awesome. John and I can't wait to get up to Boston and try some of your maple syrup recipes. You have an awesome charcuterie cookbook and you can also be found at Jamie Biss on Instagram. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jamie. This has been awesome. So much fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me. This has been a real bit, real blast. I can't wait for you guys to be up here. We can pour maple syrup all over each other. Yo, <laughs> my gosh, that's our favorite activity. We'll yeah. be up there soon. This episode is sponsored by Dutch Gold Honey and McClure's Maple Syrup, the most asked about maple syrup at the Chef's Warehouse and a great partner to all chefs. We have a sweet guest on to talk to us all about maple syrup. We have Evan Himes from Dutch Gold. Evan is our supplier of McClure's Maple Syrup. Yes, which is out of uh, New Hampshire, right, Evan? Littleton, New Hampshire. Everybody in the United States is familiar with maple syrup. Is there maple syrup made anywhere outside of North America, or is it a North American phenomenon? That it is. That geographic region that the primary source of maple syrup, which is sugar maple trees, um, grows really well in Northeast Canada and the Northeast United States. Um, so really restricted geographic area where maple syrup is available from. I was really interested about the seasonality of maple syrup. It's not something that can, I guess, be produced all year round and it requires a certain type of climate. The maple sugaring season, as, um, as kind of the lo locals would refer to it as, is a winter endeavor. The conditions of the weather are, are particularly uh, vital to a good sugaring season. You begin with the correct temperature levels. Uh, we need thawing days while freezing nights. So typically, sometimes as early as January, but as late as February or March begins a potentially a, a four to eight week season, depending on these temperature conditions, where most of the, the maple sap will be flowing for that single annual crop. What is the exact process? So you're taking sap from a tree. Most kind of visualize some galvanized buckets that are hung around or under uh, taps. Maple syrup does begin as maple sap. Um, this is actually a very high moisture liquid at this point. Um, wouldn't be sweet to the taste. That sap is collected uh, now through, you know, in a commercial setting through tubing, um, kind of centralized in a in a single tank out in the sugar bush, and then taken uh, once full to a, a sugar house. High moisture sap. It needs to be converted to to maple syrup. Uh, essentially, you're condensing the flavors. You're removing a lot of uh, water content. Kind of old colloquial days, uh, that was through heating, the idea of a pot on the stove. Um, now in commercial means, there's even processes, including reverse osmosis, to uh, separate sugar molecules from water molecules uh, as we move from about you know roughly 40 gallons of sap into one gallon of pure maple syrup. So you're essentially cutting a hole into a tray. You're putting a little spigot in there or, or a tube. The sap is coming out. Then you heat that sap after you collect it, greatly reduce it, and then that's it. There's nothing else added. It's pure maple syrup. That's spot on. The process hasn't changed, just maybe um, with volume and technology, just some improvements there. Yeah, maple syrup kind of dates back to Native American days when uh, they had collected this this liquid. The advent of kind of fire, we're, we're heating it and, and reducing it and finding that the 
a condensed version was, uh, you know, a delicious flavorful treat for them. The weather definitely impacts the sugaring season. Is there a time where, you know, climate change or something could affect the maple syrup harvest? You know, more and more erratic weather conditions certainly plays uh, havoc with with the, the sugar maker's experience. With this past season as an example, um, we had a very late season um, here in the United States. Sap did not begin flowing until late March, and we got a very quick temperature change uh, much sooner than expected. So the season only lasted three to four weeks, uh, whereas in other years, when conditions are right, that could extend six to eight uh, weeks in total. Do you ever run out of product? If it's only one season, you get three weeks, and then that's going to last you until the next season. Possible. There is more and more interest in maple syrup. We find more and more taps being installed with producers. With the example of this year, again, the yield per tap was down a good 20%. Uh, with the addition of 200,000 taps uh, in the state of Vermont. Ultimately, a lot of the maple syrup industry is based out of Canada. Um, they control roughly 70-75% of maple syrup that's produced in an annual crop. They recognize that there is some instability uh, given the small crop. One thing they have at play is an organization that uh, maintains a strategic reserve of maple syrup. Um, so in years where uh, yields are light, they're able to release volumes out of the reserve. Uh, and in other years where there's a surplus, uh, they can retain and pull in those extra volumes, uh, maintaining a balance of uh, availability and price point. One of the things I always have a question, Andrew, when I walk in the supermarket or even, you know, at Chef's Warehouse, when I look at the packaging on maple syrup, sometimes it says grade A, grade B, light amber, dark amber. You probably think grade A is the best, right? I, what, yeah, I don't even know what any of it really means, to be honest. What are all those differences and what should people be or, you know, a chef or a consumer be looking for or asking for when they buy maple syrup? Maple syrup was actually graded state by state here in the United States um, until about five or six years ago. At that point, through this 10-year initiative, um, both Canada and the United States converted to a universal grading system. It actually removed that debate about the grade A versus grade B. Everything now is considered grade A. It identifies maple syrup by both color and taste. So the lightest part of the scale, there's actually a golden color delicate taste down through a very dark color strong taste. What you're going to find is that the most common tabletop syrup usage, so again, pancakes or waffles, is going to be what's considered an amber color rich taste. This is nice, light, delicate, something that you'd want to eat and can kind of smother a, a great breakfast in. Whereas for ingredient use, you may be looking to something darker, either the dark color robust taste or the, the darkest available, the very dark color strong taste. The darker it is, the more flavorful? Correct. The, the darker the syrup, the more flavorful. And it used to be the palates were kind of geared towards a lighter, more delicate syrup. Now, you know, everyone's pushing the full flavored things both on, on breakfast, but also really to get the most value out of their ingredient use. I think a lot of people grew up not eating maple syrup, but eating pancake syrup, which is very different. Aunt Jemima, Mrs. Butterworth. Log Cabin. I looked up the ingredients. Do these things have anything to do with pure maple syrup coming out of a tree? They do not. The first ingredient was corn syrup. Evan, can you tell us a little bit about the, the differences there? So maple syrup isn't the cheapest ingredient in your, your uh, grocery store. Pancake syrup really was a, with corn syrup, flavored with maple flavor, you know, became the cheaper option. Certainly you're not getting, you know, that very natural process that we talked about earlier. You know, maple syrup does carry some mineral and antioxidant values that certainly corn syrup's not gonna provide to you. You know, the healthful the uh, user is gonna 
lean towards a maple syrup option versus your pancake syrup. Is there ever any cheating in the maple syrup industry? Are people putting additives? Are they putting in things to extend the product? Instances where people were calling maple syrup, maple syrup, but it wasn't in fact maple syrup? Don't want to speculate, but uh, the potential is that the need is out there for us to test incoming raw materials with a, a sera test that would identify common adulteration uh, methods. So certainly there's always that opportunity for someone to take advantage of the system. What is it about McClure's itself that separates it from some of the other producers out there? Great question. Uh, McClure's really has the, the family uh, own background and feel to it. We've really prided ourselves on delivering product quality um, as well as, you know, great service. From start to finish, uh, we're, we're very hands-on here. Brief background about McClure's. It was a hobbyist maple syrup endeavor dating back to the Civil War era a few generations later, and the McClure family began uh, the business as an operation in Littleton, New Hampshire in the 1970s. A few decades later, there was an additional generation to take it over in which they joined the Dutch Gold family. Since then, again, we've continued that family-operated outlook. Uh, we like to be hands-on with customers. You know, we pride ourselves in delivering only the best quality um, as we've been working with uh, several decade-long relationships uh, with our suppliers. Well, Evan, thank you so much. This has been incredible, learning a lot about maple syrup. I actually was thinking I want to go watch the movie Elf. That makes me think of maple That's syrup. That's weird. I was thinking I want to go have pancakes for lunch. All right. Well, let's go do both. All right. Elf and pancakes. Beautiful. <laughs> Sounds like a fun afternoon. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. Thanks so much, Evan. Thank you both. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Like what you hear, write us a review and subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders or Twitter at Where Chefs Talk. All the products we talked about on this episode can be purchased at chefswarehouse.com.